Okay, so last week I called for volunteers to speak to, today on what their dad is all about. Their dad or what, dad, what, what it means to be a father or words like that, and four people volunteered. I appreciate that. I, I'm so grateful for that. So speaking about my dad begins with Brother Murph Fenninger. Don't be surprised. Yeah, you're first. <laughs> Don't say that. The person who's last might hear you. <laughs> oh, wow. What a topic. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all here on Father's Day on such a beautiful day the Lord gave us. And he gave us a lot, hasn't he? Huh? He certainly has. He gave me a... Um, he gave me a five foot seven giant. My father was a giant. And I want to thank you, Pastor, for that men's, men's ministry the week before last. Um, I'm giving a pitch to, for a men's ministry, of course, uh, run by Sam, Brother Sam. Uh, Pastor Bob asked for volunteers. And, uh, you know, I, I said to myself, you know, I want to do something to pinpoint my mind on my father because I never really think of him anymore, you know, and, and, uh, and he's the reason, uh, of course, that, you know, all the things I've been through through my life, you know, I can contribute to my mother and father because they gave me a work ethic. Um, you know, he, he was... Uh, he was born in, uh, in uh, Stuttgart, Germany. Uh, and at the age of 18 years old, he came to America. Uh, he was sponsored by his brother that was here for, I don't know, 10 years or so. And when he got here, of course, um, well, he was, he was, uh, he was born in, on um, October 15th of, of 1912. And he came here to America in 1930. And of course, all of us that know history know what was going on in 1930. You know, the Great Depression was like from 1929 to 1939 or 1940. A time when, when, uh, <clears throat> when things were really bad, for not only in the United States, but the, the world. And uh, of course, there was no jobs, no, no anything. And my father came here, and uh, he he was he got his education in uh, Stuttgart. But over there, you know, education was a big thing. It, it was the big thing was, was learning a trade. And his trade, he went to chef school, and uh, unfortunately, <laughs> and when he got here. Um, you know, there was no jobs, uh, you know, uh, uh, transportation was bad, uh, schools were closing because of it, uh, segregation was big. Of course, you know, the stock market went to pot and everything else. It was a bad time and, and there was no jobs available. And, but my father got one only because of his education and his, and his field that he, he learned how to cook. He was, uh, he was a, uh, uh, he was like a pastry chef more than anything. But when you learn a trade in Germany uh, as a uh, chef, you not only learn how to prep food, but you learn how to butcher, you learn how to bake. And uh, working with him in the kitchen uh, brought me some bad memories. You know, uh, you, know you had to dodge uh, uh, knives and everything else there. I mean, what they did. He, he wasn't a violent person, but, you know, when it comes to baking, everything has to be precise. And that wasn't for me. I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't care for it. I like the food preparation part, but the, if you know, come to baker, bakery and following uh, recipes was uh, not my, my bag. But, uh, you know, working with him, I had to do it. So uh, it was uh, uh, something to look at. Uh, back then. So uh, coming to the country at 18 years old, he found his job and he had uh, 
uh, he, he, he uh, lived in, uh, he come to uh, Jersey City at first, and he uh, worked in a uh, delicatessen, uh, Ricky's Delicatessen in uh, Jersey City. And uh, uh, he also had a second job in Weehawken on, uh, on uh, I forgot what street, Bergalon Avenue in Weehawken, New Jersey. And he, and he worked around the clock to support, uh, he got married and he uh, had four boys. And uh, when, when his brother came to America, he bought a little farm. Well, his brother was a chef also. He came to America and he bought a restaurant in Lamerville. At the time, the name of it uh, uh, was Ledger's Inn. Later, now it's uh, the Inn of the Hawk, I think it is, down in, in Lamerville. And, and, uh, and uh, when he, after he bought the, uh, the restaurant, he bought a little farm down the road here. I don't know, uh, it wasn't too little. It was 60, 70 acre farm, I guess. And of course, the four boys that he had, I was the youngest of the four at the time. He had six children all together at the end. But uh, I was the youngest of the four. And uh, the little farm that we had right on Dunker Church Road. And uh, our neighbor was a uh, stockbroker in Manhattan. He was a wealthy family. And uh, my, he, he told my father, he said he wanted his farm farmed. So we, we not only farmed the 90 acres that we had, and we also, he, the other farmer had uh, 120 acres. So the four boys, my mother and my father, farmed uh, all that property. So we had, um, so of course, going to high school, uh, we, we raised chickens, uh, you know, the, our main income was, uh, was eggs, and of course uh, we had dairy cows. Uh, our, our barn had like uh, 13 stanchions in it. And in the morning, we'd have the 13 cows come in, right? milk 13 cows, the, ca the cows with that 13 would leave, and the other 13 would come in, and we had like three, uh, three times the, the 13, so that's how many cows that we had with milk. And we sent our milk to uh, Johanna Farms in 40 quart milk cans. And back then, you know, you had no refrigeration uh, like we had today. You had no walk-in boxes and things like that. So, you know, and my mother, uh, I even have more respect for her than that, my father. But uh, she used to lift these 40 quart milk cans in and out of this cooler. It was cold water. It wasn't a cooler. It was like uh, cold water. And then she'd bring them down to the farm stand on Dunker Church Road. And they'd come by and they'd uh, pick the cans up and bring them to Hannah Farms. On Wednesday, I used to go with my mother. We used to gather the eggs all week, and we used to bring the eggs to the egg auction market right here in Flemington uh, every Wednesday. And uh, there's a little story to be told about these uh, eggs. Do I have time to do this? Can I keep on going, huh? Okay. Just don't lay an egg. <laughs> anyway, uh, one of my jobs on the farm was... Uh, uh, we used to have to sort to, to make sure that there was no blood spots in the eggs, and uh, and we used to have to brush them, make sure they're half clean or whatever. But I used to there was a little creek that ran down back of our uh, house, and I used to sit there with a basket of eggs and brush them. And the ones that was uh, was was too dirty, I throw over my shoulder and hit to the creek. So one day I was brushing the eggs and brushing away and I throw the egg over the two the dirty ones over my shoulder. And my father was in back of me catching them. I didn't even know he was there. Uh, I'm not going to say what happened after that. But, uh, anyway, um, he was, uh, you know, we also raised pheasants for the state. Uh, you know, the state would give you a little pheasant chip. My father instigated all this. You know, I mean, he, there were... The, us four boys was his workforce, and we never did without a thing. Uh, you know, he was he was really strict, but not violent. Um, but he uh, FFA projects in, in high school. You know, we raised uh, 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 tomatoes for Campbell's. We had pheasants. We raised for the state. Uh, you know, we took care of the chickens and the eggs and and. Uh, we had no running water in the, in the chicken coops, and we had like, I don't know, six, eight hundred chickens. 
And we used to have to break the ice in the winter down at the creek and carry the water up to the chickens. And it was, uh, but he, he was, uh, he instigated all this. And, and uh, as a child, we never did without anything. You know, and we ate, always ate good. Uh, you know, of course, on a farm, you know, if you, he, you know, being a chef, he, he used to cook every Sunday our dinner. He used to send us here to church, send us here. He never went himself, but he used to stay in the house and cook dinner for us. Every Sunday afternoon, the whole family would sit down and have dinner. Sometimes he would invite Reverend Landis. He used to come to our house and Reverend Landis's favorite dinner was uh, cream chicken and dumplings. And every, you know, maybe every couple months, two or three months, he used to come to our house for dinner. So um, anyway, uh, after the farm was, uh, he sold the farm. Uh, he had a, uh, um, somebody come and auction off an auctioneer, auction off all the cows and then, and he had enough money to buy a restaurant. And he bought a restaurant in White House, and uh, I was the only one. Out of the, the, the other, my three uh, brothers joined the, uh, the service, and I was the only one that was working with my father in the restaurant. So, uh, and uh, he had a little place in White House, and, and uh, I worked with him there for, I don't know, several years until he bought another place in Flemington, and then when he retired. And when he retired, I, uh, I bought the place in Flemington from him and ran it myself. Uh, you know, a little thing. Uh, the, the place in Flemington that he had, had a, uh, on Sunday afternoon, uh, we used to have people from, uh, you know, come out from the city and, and go to uh, shopping in, in Flemington. It was a big shopping malls and stuff in Flemington. It was popular. So one day my father says to me, he said, Murphy, so I want you to make up some advertisements that we have a smorgasbord here on Sunday. And uh, I want you to go over to Petal's Village and, and put your advertisements on every one of the windows, uh, you know, underneath the windshield wipers. I said, okay. I must have made 100 of them, 150 of them. Put it on the windows. It was very busy that day. It's a smorgasbord when the people was, was uh, all over the place. So um, pretty soon before we, the smorgasbord started at 12 o'clock and uh, pretty soon the chief of police comes walking into place with a handful of these advertisements that I had put on all the windows in Petaluma Village. And he says, you know, he said, this is illegal to do this. Not one person got one of the, he took them off all, all the cars and brought them in and said, yeah, don't do this again. But the smorgasbord my father had was, I would say, almost the length of this the church building. That's how long, that's how big it was. And then he put um, all the cheap things he put where you put your plates up and you walk down the smorgasbord line. And at the end, he had prime rib. You had no room left on your plate for the prime rib. So uh, he, he had everything worked out how to make money. And my job was he had, we had a big ice uh, tray down about uh, at the end of the smorgasbord filled with uh, cherry stone clams and, and uh, under 10 shrimps. Now under 10 shrimps are 10 to a pound. That's how big they were. And I used to stand there and open the clams for anybody who wanted cherry stone clams on a half shell and stuff like that. But he, he, was, uh, he was a giant and uh, he, uh, he gave us some good work ethic. So, uh, coming back to this, this farm thing, uh, we used to have uh, baptisms here on, on, on this, this creek right here. And Reverend Landis used to call my father up and say, you know, Sunday we're gonna have some baptisms. And my father used to make us uh, dam up the creek up there, so Reverend Landis would walk in there and do baptisms and, and whatever. And, uh, uh, you know, I've, I've been coming to this church for years and years. And uh, I already told you the story. I, I don't know if he was here or not when I told the story about my cigarette episode. That was another episode I had with my father. We had a little fanny store up the road. And she sold cigarettes and ice cream and things like that. 
So one day my father said, or Sunday, he sends me to church and I walked right by the church and went up to Fanny's store and bought a pack of Paul Malls. I think I'm, I don't know, eight, nine years old. So I smoked a couple cigarettes and after we got home, church was over, I went home. My father says, how was church today, Murph? Ah, great. Good. He says, oh yeah? Well, Fanny called me and said, yeah, you got cigarettes. Oh boy. That was, that was, another, that was another episode. So I, I don't want to get in detail as to what happened, but it wasn't nice. But uh, my father died in uh, March 1st of uh, 2002. And uh, at the funeral, I bet you there was people wrapped around a funeral home four times. Popular guy uh, in Hunterton County. And uh, everybody loved him. So um, that's about all I've got to say about my father, uh, other than, you know, he's, he gave me, he, uh, he, never, he never laid a hand on us, but, uh, you know, you don't have to do what I tell you to do, but I'm going to make you wish you did, type thing, and uh, that's the way he was, and uh, I respect him. So uh, thanks for the opportunity to talk about him, and... Uh, happy Father's Day to everybody. Okay, uh, Scott is going to come up and talk about his dad, and you're going to have some cartoons to go with it. I'm not for much for a public speaking, so I wrote down a lot what I'm going to write. And I'm glad that Pastor Bob uh, came to me and asked me to speak because I thought about speaking about my father, but I just didn't really have the nerve. So like, uh, here goes. Um, for a long time, I didn't think my father had influenced my life until the last few years. And I came to realize my resistance to the modern world came much from him. Um, for those who don't know my father, he was uh, Chris Affleck. He... Um, He's known for running his auto body shop, Chris's Auto Body, and he was into uh, antique cars, especially Lincoln's. And I didn't work there long, but I remember like when I was 16, I learned to take things apart, but I didn't really learn much about putting things back together. Um, and something that sticks in my mind, and I just remembered it was, he had a steel, steel roof at the back of the shop that he had me go up on the roof to paint with um, paint from extra paint from jobs that he had done. And I remember painting it because he didn't want to waste anything. Um, so things like that come back, started coming back to me. But I'm especially like thankful that he didn't push me to get into a career and that really allowed me to grow on my own. Um, and his influence came only more recently in the last few years when it became apparent that how I thought about how I work with synthesizer keyboards. Um, for years I wanted, waited for technology to develop for the ideal instrument. And I spent thousands of dollars on this stuff. And a few years ago, I had an experience of finding an old Yamaha synthesizer on the sidewalk in Lambertville. And it just needed a power cord and, but it happened to make some sounds that were bigger and richer than newer instruments I'd spent so much money on. So that got me to think about how my father lived, how he, like for example, his um, everyday car, until he passed away in 19, 2009, he drove a 1953 Ford pickup. Um, so that really inspired me to write a story, and you can like, post the first image, I guess, of the, the cover. I wrote a story about me, that's me, finding this keyboard, and so I'll start like sort of like in the middle, and I'm going to actually read the story. This is based on some truth, I sort of exaggerate things, but it's, it seems, and this is where it starts in the story, it seems stupid to throw out the synth, but that's because people aren't like my dad. He said he was following the great carpenter. My dad taught me to fix things. 
And then I guess you'll have to skip to the, not that one, the third one. Yeah, that one. My dad taught me to fix things. When our refrigerator stopped working, he would take out his toolbox and fix it. When the speakers of our stereo system stopped working, he fixed it. When my train stopped running, I thought it would need to get a new one. But dad said it just needed oil. Sure enough, after he oiled it, the engine ran faster than it had before. My best memories of go are going with dad to the train shop to look for old stuff to fix. Should have said model train. I remember painting an old model farm that had turned yellow with age. It just felt so good when I cheered it up with a coat of white paint. Dad said the great carpenter fixed all things. Before Jesus began to spread his good news and heal the sick, he was a carpenter. People don't think about that. To really follow Jesus would mean following how he would have lived and worked as a carpenter. There is joy in doing that, just finding pleasure in making stuff by working. Hoping to buy new stuff can just make one unhappy. When I found the old synth, I realized I could be happy by just working with I had, what I had found. And then you can show the last picture now. It's like, yeah. I know my dad may have seemed strange to a lot of people. He never had a credit card, but that's because he was following the great carpenter. That's all. Thank you, Scott. Remember, the people volunteered, okay? So the next volunteers, Chris. Sorry to say it, but your pastor's a liar. I'm kidding, kidding. But last week when he asked for volunteers and I volunteered, he said, you can't do that. He forbade me. Um, because believe it or not, as much as you know, dad's in front of people, he doesn't like to be the center of attention. And you're going to be the center of attention for a couple of minutes, so I know it's going to be uncomfortable. But um, I jumped at the chance uh, to, to tell you, dad, what you mean to me, to remind you what you mean to me, and to share it with, with folks that are here. Um, so dad was born February 24th, 1945 in Brooklyn, where my mom was born also, and that's where I was born. Um, and then we moved to Staten Island when I was nine years old, uh, excuse me, three years old. And then we moved out here just up the street in 1979 when I was, when I was nine. Um, my dad had the same job through those moves. So he went from probably a 20 minute commute when we were in, um, Staten Island to an hour and 15 minute commute from here back to Brooklyn, as you may or may not know, my dad was in secular work for, for many years of his life. Um, and uh, as I just reflect on my father, my heart is just filled with gratitude. I guess that's, that's gonna be the theme of what I wanna share is thank you, Dad, for, uh, for so many different things um, that I wanna try to lay out. So thank you, Dad, for, for overcoming difficulties in your own life as a child. We all go through things and Dad's no exception. There were some really hard things that my dad and his whole family went through. And when I look at people today in our world and um, how they face challenges and what it produces in their life, um, I'm especially grateful that my father turned into this terrific human being. And um, we know that that's because of God in his life and uh, him giving his heart to Christ and all the influence that God has had in his life. But my father overcame a lot of difficulties to be a wonderful husband and an amazing father. And it didn't have to be that way, but um, when I think of my father, I think of the choices he made to be very purposeful about following the Lord and letting the Lord do a work in his life. And that's always been an example to me. My dad's always spent a lot of time with me, no matter how busy he's been. I think back to times of, uh, we used to play something called Fort Apache. So we had all these little army guys and dinosaurs and all kinds of crazy figures. And he would come home from work and we would go into my room and set up these fun scenarios and, and play, play games together. And um, I know how hard it is as a dad now to give time 
sometimes, but my father was always there to give his time to me. And he taught me how to imagine. He taught me how to try to be creative. He taught me how to dream. My dad taught me how to be playful because that's the way he was with me in my life. My dad always coached me never to lead with my fears. And, and he showed me that he was an example of somebody I could trust. He used to do this game with me where he would stand at the bottom of a long set of stairs and he would send me top of the stairs all the way back to the bedroom at a far away spot and he would say, okay, you know, go. And I would run as fast as I could and I would get to the top of the stairs and just Superman, just flat out. And uh, I could do that because I knew he would always catch me. And I remember having people, they would have people over the house and they would, we would do this demonstration. I would become Superman for people. He never dropped me. I won't talk about my mother because it's not Mother's Day. But uh, dad never, never dropped me. Dad's always been proud of me and let me know it. Even in my worst times and in my best times. One of the things I appreciate you, Dad, is that you're just genuine. You know, as a pastor's kid, I share my father with a lot of people. He shares his family with you. The person that you see on a Wednesday night or a Sunday or whenever you interact with him here, that's the person he is at home. There's no airs. He's just real. And um, I know people in my life that I, I can't say that about, but I can say that about my parents. I can say that about my father, and I appreciate that about you, Dad. Dad always worked really hard to create wonderful memories by taking us on vacations and planning out holidays and special events and using the gift of hospitality to bring other people into our home. And, and there's so many wonderful things that I can think back on um, where there was music in our home and food and, um, and laughter. You know, my dad can be serious, but He's got a, obviously a silly side too. There's some pictures of costumes that are pretty funny. If we dug them out, maybe we could use them for blackmail. Um, but there was always joking and, and a sense of humor in our home. And um, it was a wonderful mix of, of seriousness and joking. And, and I, I remember fondly when people would come to our house, there was always fellowship. You know, fellowship is very different than just getting together with people. Fellowship constitutes God being at the center of that gathering. And I remember sitting at tables and, and listening to my dad and some of his friends and just people that were over talk about the Lord, talk about scripture, have their Bibles open and be debating different things. And it gave me a curiosity for God's word. It gave me um, an interest in the things of God because the things they talked about were, were just fascinating. I, I think Claire's amening that. Dad, I thank you for loving Robin and accepting her as your daughter. I thank you for loving and investing my children on a, on a weekly basis. My parents spend a lot of time helping Robin and I, who are both working, take care of our kids. And, you know, Claire needs extra help. And, uh, and they, both my parents do that. Um, again, Dad, you demonstrated through your whole life how important loving and studying and making the Bible the final authority in a Christian's life is. And, and, and kind of most importantly, that love for God's word. And also, you've always cared more about showing me how to become like Jesus and making me a little Christ than you, even you were about trying to turn me into a mini you or, or who you were and who you are. And so I know that my life would be very different today if, if I didn't have my father in my life and not in a good way, be very different in a not so good way. So I, I honor you today, Dad. I respect you, I love you, and I'm also aware that I'm gonna get a chance to hug my dad today, which some of the men that are speaking today would love to do and don't have the opportunity to do. So thank you for a chance to brag on you. Happy Father's Day. Thank you. All right, we have one more person sharing his dad, and that's Senor David Lee. Come on up, Brother David. 
Good morning, brothers and sisters. First thing I'd like to do is praise our Holy Father on Father's Day. And I'd also like to bless all, ask for blessings for all of you fathers here in Amwell and all the fathers that are, are not here. There are many responsibilities to being a father. And true fathers, as we have heard, really make sacrifices for their families without any hesitation. Now, father is, in a, is a man who is in a relationship with his children. Proverbs 27 says, A just man walketh his, in his integrity, and his children are blessed to have him. So we've heard from the other speakers today. In third, the epistle of John 1.4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Where do they get that truth? Comes from their fathers and their mothers. Not to, not to forget that. And in Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and he will, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. So I was just going to speak a little bit about how I remember my father. He was a simple, God-fearing man. And he brought our family up in the ways of the Lord. He took us, he demanded that we go to church. And we went to a Pentecostal church in Trenton. And uh, he would go to church on Wednesday nights, Friday nights, Sunday mornings, and Sunday nights. And he always had his hooks on us. And, you know, I did my best to avoid it. And uh, he did his best to make sure that I didn't. Uh, my dad... He died in 1988 after 10 years of having stomach cancer. And most of my adult life, I spent in the streets with my friends and my contemporaries and doing the things that were not applicable to a Christian. Christian kid. Then, through all that and uh, whatever I did, I did, you know, like Merv would say, we're not going to talk about that. Yeah. One day I was, I used to, I used to hang out at the music shop in, in, uh, in Lamberville. Jeff Klein's store, everybody, I was really involved with that. And uh, Jeff's been here to the church as well. Uh, so it was like a Wednesday in, in, in April, in the end of April, I was, they, Jeff used to have these little get togethers uh, and you know, people would, all the local people that wanted to uh, like a jam night, they, he would bring them to the back of the store, and people would play their, play you know, their pieces that they knew. And it was always interesting. But um, I noticed there was this guy walking around outside and uh, on the street, and, and he came up this in the store and then left, you know. And there was this kid inside inside the store, he left. I walked, when I went out to the parking lot down by the river, by the Lamberville Station, there was this guy sitting on the curb with, his, with a book open, talking to this one kid that I noticed. And I got really curious and I went over to see what was going on. And uh, that guy was Spencer Melvin, who used to attend here. And uh, 
he, he, you know, he witnessed to us and read from the book. And at the end of that, he looked at me. I was moved by it. And he looked at me and he said, there's a meeting at our church tonight. Would you like to come? You're invited. And, you know, I had no intentions of going to, that ch going to church. So I went home and I was getting ready to go out to the, to the music, little music get together. And as I was tying my shoes up, something came over me. And I said, you're going to go over to that church. And I did. I got here and we went through Bible study. And at the end of the study, Pastor and um, Spencer spent some time with me. And praise the Lord, I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ at night in 2005. And as we were closing there, I had told Pastor about my dad and my background and my life and his life. And dad had been dead for, at that point, 17 years in, in 2001. I mean, in 2005 that night. And uh, Pastor said to him, said to me, you know, Dave, you know your father prayed for you every day. And even after being gone for 17 years, his prayers were answered. And I praise the Lord, and I'm living proof of that. Happy Father's Day to all of you. Thank uh, each of the four of you for sharing with us. Your lives have been touched. On this, you know, Father's Day, Mother's Day, and all these various special holidays uh, give, us an, give pastors an opportunity to speak to a topic. And this morning, I'd like to speak to you about a godly father, a godly father. You know, uh, with all of these mass shootings that have been going on, they've been going on for a long time, and this recent spate seems to have uh, really touched people. Sociologists and police around the country have been examining the details in the lives of some of those mass shootings. And there's one thing that seems to be a thread throughout their lives, and it's this, that most, the majority of these shooters come from homes without a father. They come from homes without a father. There's an old proverb that says, one father is more than a hundred schoolmasters. As the spiritual father to many churches, Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 14. For though ye have 1,000 and 10,000 instructors in Christ, you have not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Paul had been their spiritual father. He's the one that led them to Jesus Christ. He's the one that shared the gospel. The impact in their lives from Paul was severe. Do you have a spiritual parent? Has there been a man or a woman who has led you to Jesus Christ, who has become a spiritual father or mother to you this morning? If you have such a person, you are blessed, amen? No matter how many friends and influencers one may have through early life, there are only two people who have brought that person into this life, and that's a mother and a father, irrespective of what the culture wants to say about that. Those are, may I put it this way, those are the facts of life. Amen? Exodus 20 and verse 12 says, Honor thy mother and thy father. Someone has written, It's easier for a father to have children than for children to have a real father. There are so many young men and young women having children today, and they're not prepared to be mothers and fathers. And some of those men who have birthed those children have walked away and could care less about the life that they help create. 
More than 50% divorce rates in which families dissolve into single-parent homes. Mother becomes the head of the family. Although our culture insists that fathers are not needed, the Bible instructs that fatherhood has a rightful place of honor. Feminist Gloria Steinem, you wouldn't believe I'd be quoting this person, but she writes, most American children suffer from too much mother and too little father. Now, she's passed on. I wonder what would have happened if she said that today, on Father's Day. She'd probably be shut down, closed up, and removed from the Internet. But that's the truth. What are some of the marks of a godly father? Proverbs 1, thank you, Brother Dave, for quoting from Proverbs. Proverbs 1, 8 and 9 says this, My son, hear the instruction of thy father. Forsake not the law of thy mother, for they shall be an ornament of grace onto thy head and chains about thy neck. The Bible teaches that the primary responsibility of the Old Testament father was to provide instruction to his sons in the practical and spiritual aspects of life. While all the children prospered under the law and love exercised by their mother. The law of love exercised by mother. This is a balanced relationship. The marriage relationship is a balanced relationship. There is a role for dad. There's a role for mom. And when they live those roles out in a godly biblical fashion, children's lives are changed. Children's lives are impacted when there's war going on within the mother and the father and there are issues going on that just bring distress to the kids. They're affected by that. Children are so impacted by the lives of their mothers and their fathers and the children are oblivious when they're young, but they begin to realize that as they grow old, there was an impact made on my life. A godly father will teach by example such values as character, reputation, and integrity. And that's where my focus is going to be this morning. Integrity means, listen to this definition, it's kind of like a shorthand one. If our private life was suddenly exposed, we'd have no reason to be ashamed or embarrassed. Character and integrity is who we are when nobody's looking. When the lights are not on. One example of integrity in scripture is Daniel. Daniel became one of King Darius's top three advisors and was soon in line to be chief of the elite group of leaders. Now, when, you're, when you stick your head up out of the trench and you start to look around and people begin to notice you, you become a target. And Daniel became a target. Some of the other leaders in Darius's court, decided they didn't like the, the idea that Daniel was going to be one of the top guys. In fact, he was going to be the top guy next to the king. And so they began to work against him. They began to conspire against him. They looked at every opportunity and every aspect of his life in order to find just one thing they could use to blackmail him. And they searched and they scoured and they looked and they dug and they, they peered behind windows. Anything they could possibly do. They had to find some dirt on this guy. Sounds like modern day politics to me. Looking for dirt. Not looking for the good things. Not looking for what a person can do to help the country. But what they can do to take down a person they don't like or don't agree with. So after all of this search to find something to blackmail Daniel with, what was the outcome? And the outcome is found in Daniel 6.4. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But look at that. They could find no occasion or fault. They couldn't find anything. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Most times, if you go looking for something negative or something bad or something uh, someone has done that was wrong, you can find it. But in Daniel's case, there was nothing. He lived a godly life. And as a result, he was open to scrutiny and found to be without fault. This is a wonderful legacy. The word legacy has evolved to mean how an individual 
will be remembered after death. The story goes about two brothers who practically ran a small Midwestern town. The two of them could have been named the Nasty Brothers. They were cruel. They were corrupt. They had money and power. And they, those two things became their God. The day, the day came, one of the brothers died. His brother came to the small church in town, which had serious repair needs on the building. And knowing that, the living brother promised that he would pay for all the repairs if the church promised, if the pastor promised to conduct his brother's funeral. And then in the course of the eulogy, the pastor needed to say that his brother was a saint. Well, the pastor was caught off guard, and without thinking, he agreed to perform the service. It wasn't long before he was ashamed of his response. And he prayed to God for wisdom and words to set the record straight and not to compromise the truth. As the eulogy was coming to a conclusion, the pastor looked right in the remaining brother's face and said, Your brother was a thief, a liar, a cheat. He was cruel. He was as crooked as a corkscrew. But compared to your brother, he was a saint. Compared to you, he was a saint. So the pastor got it out. In his book, Through My Father's Eyes, published by Thomas Nelson Publishers, Franklin Graham writes this about his dad, Billy Graham. Quote, through cover stories and documentaries, media outlets around the world have pondered the legacy of Billy Graham. They have asked and tried to answer, how will he be remembered? What did he leave behind? My father would want to be remembered for two things, that he lived a life obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ and that he faithfully preached God's gospel. And his son and namesake, as his son and namesake, I would add to that legacy what he passed on to his family, integrity and compassion. Billy Graham was a loving father who taught his children values found in the word of God and loved and lived those values both privately and publicly. My parents left us children a tangible legacy, he writes, but more valuable was the heritage they left in how they lived their lives. How you live your life. The greatest moment in the life of our loved ones is the day they come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Your kids are watching you. Your grandchildren, you no longer have kids, but you have grandchildren maybe. And you have, uh, you have nieces and nephews. They're watching you. You're the ones in the family that are supposedly the Christians. And what are they seeing when they see you? And what are they seeing when they see me? It's been noticed that the, it has been noted that the first schoolhouse is the home and mother and father are the first teachers. What is the legacy of Solomon, the writer of the book of Proverbs? What was his legacy? Proverbs 9, 9 and 10. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the holy is understanding. Men, what? is your legacy to your family, your friends, the people you know. Being a godly friend and a godly father is a legacy that lasts for eternity. As Christians, we are blessed to have the perfect father and the perfect example of fatherhood in Jesus Christ and his father. John 1:12. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. This is your legacy. As a child of God, your legacy is to share what it is you have found in Jesus Christ. Your legacy is to live your life in such a way that the people with whom you come in contact will see Jesus. And when they see what Jesus has done in your lives, they will want him. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. So when you're at work, if people see when the boss gives you some dumb instruction, you don't go around ragging about it. You take it, you pray about it, and you go on from there. 
Everybody else may be getting angry. Everybody else may be getting frustrated. But when they see you're not, and they see how you handle, they're going to want to know why. And when people in your family experience difficult times and times when things are gray and dark and things look really like they're bad, you're experiencing it too. But you don't get to the negative side. You don't let that negative stuff overwhelm you and burden you in the same way as they. Because if you're in a family that does not know Jesus Christ as a Savior, they don't have the resource you have. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't have the truth. They don't have the strength of Christ living in them. You've received Jesus Christ as Savior. You are a son and daughter of God. And that's your legacy. And my prayer for you this morning is that you pass it on. Thanks, Gene, for passing it on in that song. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that uh, as men and women this morning who are believers in Jesus Christ, we have a legacy to share with folks. And that's what Jesus has done in our life. And so this morning, Father, I pray that in some small way, this message would have ignited us to want to share the gospel with the people with whom we come in contact today. We leave this place into a mission field. It's the mission field of family and friends and co-workers. Help us, Lord, to be faithful to that call. Help us not to make excuses. Help us not to be afraid. Help us not to be intimidated. But help us to be bold for Christ's sake. And it's in his name we pray it. Amen.